Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Nigel Lee Archive. Ahead of today's message, I just wanted to come in and explain a bit about what you're about to hear. This week's message is the second in a three-part series entitled Where Do We Go From Here? given in the early 2000s. In this particular message, Nigel is reflecting on all of the changes that have happened in the church that he was leading in the year prior to this message. In many ways, this might seem very contextual to the church that Nigel is in. But we do hope that it is encouragement to everybody to hear how the Lord was at work in this particular church, in this particular place, and also hear some of the reflections Nigel has on these changes and successes and challenges of that. If you're a church leader or in any leadership role in a church, this might be a particular encouragement to you and help you think through more things about your church context. The message also ends with some reflections on a passage in 1 Thessalonians 1. And so we do hope that that will be a particular encouragement to you as well. Next episode, we'll share the third and final part in this series. We've been just thinking of of heaven and Lord Jesus and of his throne and and reign. And just before that, we were thinking about Afghanistan and bombs and starvation and really dark a village where there are no food supplies and they watch the weather getting colder and wonder whether they're going to last. How do we hold those two together? Prayer? Faith? But if you don't believe in heaven and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, How do you survive these other things anyway? And we want to be among the people on this globe who look up, who trust and believe and pray and act and obey and sacrifice so that we live in both worlds with integrity. So that singing these great songs, having just been considering what we've been considering, isn't somehow an exercise in in just Cutting off into pie in the sky and wishful thinking. We absolutely want to resist that. But to be people with all ten toes on the ground. And uh, people who, who have hearts also on heaven. And live with both. Let's pray. God our Father, we pray that you would help us now in our considerations. We spoke serious things. Serious in heaven and serious on earth. To put it all together obediently and humbly and lovingly. Help us now as we think a little more about your word and about its application to ourselves. Give us thankful and praising hearts, we pray. For your name's sake, amen. Is that me? I only had cornflakes for breakfast. (laughs) Um, We were looking at the big picture. Where do we go from, from here? Uh, and we were attempting in half an hour something of an overview of evangelicalism in this country, where British church life 
is and, and where it's going and where a church like ours fits in. And um, I've got uh, a number of copies here, if people would like, of, of the script or the text. Very unusual for me to write it all out like this, but I did do it, and I have a, I have a number. Or if you'd like to receive it um, by uh, email, we can also do that. So if you'd like one of them from last week, um, just ask, and um, I'll be happy to give you one. One of the things that we were seeing is that we are all on the mission field now. The cultural gap between people who believe what we believe in this church and the mass of folk around in our nation is actually getting wider and deeper. Christian values and convictions are shared by perhaps fewer and fewer people in, in the Britain of today. And it's a real challenge to us all. You are all missionaries now. In your own country. It's a challenge um, to the leadership of the church as they face what's coming. I don't just mean the elders. I mean all of us involved in, in leadership of youth work, kids growing up in the modern school experience, leadership of our house groups, our sort of support and prayer uh, little network of, of groups around the district, people who are involved in taking responsibility for leadership in some of our outreach activities, the Alpha course that's going on now, the, the stuff that's being planned in the future. It's a challenge to all of us who want to serve the Lord in our generation. We're all missionaries now. What we um, did last week, and what we're going to do again now, is read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've got it up on the screen, but if you'd like a copy of a Bible, you just put up your hand now and somebody brings you one, and it's page 1186 uh, in the church Bible. But it may be enough for many of you just to um, follow on the screen, but we shall be referring back to it a little bit. 1 Thessalonians and the first chapter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. These were the three men who had been accused in Thessalonica of turning the world upside down. I mean, it was meant as a real insult. I think it has come down through the years to be quite a compliment. These three turned the world upside down. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I mean, may that be the, the experience of many in these parts. A friend of mine was recently in Tajikistan. Just this last week, he went on that same flight from Munich out to Dushanbe. That Jonathan's going to go on. He'd been there a year before. He was told when he was there a year before, there are about 400 Christians in the church. When he was there this year, in, in the church in the whole country, he was told now there are 1,500 people receiving the message in spite of severe suffering. This was the reality in this first century uh, situation. And so, verse 7, you became a model 
to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he rescued from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In about 25 minutes or so, we're going to take communion together. And before we do, I want to return to this chapter. And I want to draw out um, some further aspects, building on what we were looking at last week, aspects of what it means to be, as the scripture puts it, a model church. A church that others can be encouraged by, and helped by, and learn from. So that when we take communion, we're being reminded together of where we are going, and in whose steps we are seeking to follow. Uh, so we're going to finish off looking um, again at the Lord, let me say that. But first, some reflections on ourselves, where we're at as a church, and how all this uh, fits into the bigger picture. Um, we're looking back over the last nine months, and it's been a time of many changes. Many changes just in the course of the last uh, few months. Let me mention some of them. Number one, uh, do you remember back in January, uh, we made the decision to move towards becoming two churches. And this is a big change. There is another congregation meeting right now in Albert Street. Um, but we are all still one church. They are approaching 100 in number, in an, including kids, about 90 to 100. And um, we, we need to remember that the average size of an Anglican church in the United Kingdom at the moment, well, the last figures from the year 2000, 60 people, they're already bigger than the average. And then we here meeting in Leighton, uh, again, including kids somewhere 200, 250, we've been over 250 on a number of occasions, week after week. The average size in the United Kingdom of one of the new charismatic churches is 160. We're way already beyond that in, in size. Big changes, therefore, as we look towards dividing into two friendly but autonomous congregations in the future. And people find change difficult. Some find change enormously difficult. You may be married to somebody like that, and you're one of the opposites. So some people love change. They're, they're, they just get impatient with uh, life remaining the same. I mean, they, they just want to try all the different toothbrushes, uh, you know, sitting in the, in the thing. They, they just like difference. They're those kind of crazy people. And, and you're married to someone who, who just has the same thing for breakfast every day and likes to sit in the same seat every Sunday. Chris, you're one of those. <laughs> I could, I could go blind on a Saturday night. I could come in here and I could walk and I could lay my hands on Chris Samuel. <laughs> Some can't get enough change. Others, you know, desperate all the time for more. How do you keep those kind of people together? And if the church is going to be facing big change, we need to be patient with each other and concerned for each other and understand how different other people are. This church is developing in, in some new ways. Um, it's been a, a story of slow, steady growth over the years. That is actually and is still requiring change in the way leadership is, is needed. You know, there is a single uh, denominational training college in the United Kingdom that has one course 
on how you handle change of this sort in a church if you're leading it. There's just nobody teaching it, and, and we're sort of struggling along as best as best we can. The second um, significant thing that has happened in the course of this uh, last few months, the search for a new full-time staff worker uh, began in the summer. After the Albert Street congregation had been away for their weekend, uh, back uh, in May, I think it was, and a job description was drawn up and a person description, and then adverts were placed, we have had over 20 applications uh, for that responsibility. <laughs> Frankly, I'm astonished. I didn't, I mean, I thought we'd be scratching around for two or three. It, it, the figure is getting up to near 25, actually. Good applications, and um, there's been a short list drawn up, and the Albert Street elders, uh, together with uh, Ken and Kim of this congregation, working together, and um, the process of seeing those four on the short list. And we have another three on a sort of very good reserve list. I mean, any some churches would be glad to to be given the opportunity to see any of those three. Perhaps we ought to charge to pass the information on, like people do with Reader's Digest names. And, uh, anyway, it, 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 it's exciting. And there's going to be, in November, going to be a process of seeing those candidates, uh, interviewing them, giving them an opportunity, of course, to meet the church and uh, preach there and so on. Do please pray. Pray with us. It's easy for this congregation, perhaps, to forget that this is a very significant thing that's going on, still within our church, but is going to more uh, predominantly affect the other congregation. We're, we're looking to the Lord for, for the right outcome of that. Thirdly, in the summer, um, the house groups were uh, reconfigured, um, restructured according to the two congregations. Now, for many of you, you were already in house groups, midweek prayer care groups that were entirely made up of mice and people anyway. So you didn't notice any difference. But some of the groups have been really quite uh, seriously churned over. And uh, there are now 18 groups um, across the two congregations. Uh, including, that is, the midweek groups that meet uh, 10 o'clock Wednesday morning. Twelve of them uh, now uh, coherently belong to the Mighton congregation and six uh, to the Albert Street folk. Two hundred people have their names down on these lists. I remember years back when we, we, we first started those home groups. There were, there were three of them, little homes, and you know, just tiny, tiny little groups. And it's thrilling to see the way there are now 200 associates. Do pray for the new leaders that are um, stepping up to take responsibility. Adrian and Ruth Smith uh, in leadership in one. Bridget Wells, Gina Stickley leading uh, some of these uh, groups. Um, now that the groups are made up of members of one coherent congregation, it's much easier uh, for there to be pastoral care because you, you meet the same people Sundays as you do midweek. And it's much easier... Uh, for the groups to be responding to stuff that is taught on the Sundays. Already the Albert Street congregation are on, a, as you will see if you get our program, a completely different um, teaching schedule according to what they feel uh, their needs are. So the whole thing has become um, more coherent and better organized. Fourthly, um, three new elders uh, joined uh, the team, Mike Wells and Dave Mann and Steve Lark here in this congregation, and um, excellent contribution they are making. They're very good for us. Fourthly, I've been uh, struck, I think, in just recently by this about our church. How many, uh, how many folk that are part of the congregation here 
have links and connections and are involved in other Christian work and responsibilities all over the place. I look back five, ten years, and I don't think it was so, to the same degree. And I just started to list down. If you think of the Gideons, well, we've always had a link with the Gideons and, and connections, but a number of you, Ken, we know about, uh, is on, on senior committees of the Gideons, but the Jacksons and John Alexander and, and probably some others um, are involved there. Frontiers mission. With their slogan, you know, something like, is it Muslims, it's their chance now or something. Uh, a ministry church planting among among Muslims. Rodney has been such an anchor person for them um, in, in recent years. And we have connections with uh, Rodney and Barbara's son, Stephen, who's been with, with Frontiers. There's Paul coordinating the, uh, the Barclays Bank Christian Fellowship. Uh, there's quite a cluster of folk now with Cord. Jonathan and uh, Kathy, we've already been talking to. Peter has has a sort of uh, support role as um, uh, what is it, shrink advisor or something? What are you? <laughs> I think you probably need to interview Jonathan when he comes back from <laughs> dodging the bombs and bullets. Uh, but they, of course, have been involved with uh, with Cord. Um, Grand key role with Agape, nationally looking after the Jesus video. Trisha. Uh, um, on the Keswick Convention Council, John Senior, posting in to serve. We have UCCF links. Joined them for a, a year or two's relay program. Chris with Wycliffe Bible Translators when he's not sitting right there. And then there's, there's camp work. Actually, at the moment, you know, Mark is away as we were praying uh, down in South End. Um, and things are going, why don't all these people, and anyone else I've forgotten, just stand up for a minute. Let me get you, see, people who are, stand up for People who are involved in these kind of things around the church. Good, 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 good. And my wife sitting down very quickly. <laughs> uh, then our monthly communion service in the morning. That was a, a new development earlier on this year. It's usually monthly. It's in November. Um, we're not going to meet on the second Sunday of the month because it's our world-focused diff day. But we believe here that this is something that the Lord commanded us to do, to remember him in the breaking of bread. And if we're serious about discipleship, we want to do what, what he's told us to do. Uh, we've often exhorted people to come to the evening meetings, and uh, it didn't seem to make a heap of the difference most of the time. And so we didn't want uh, simply to have communion available at a time where, obviously, it was going to be difficult or impossible uh, for folk to come. So we've, we've moved it to the, the morning. Um, seventhly, think of the, the mission team that went out this last summer to Ukraine, eastern Ukraine, doing some stuff that was in many ways a new venture. We've had teams a little bit to go out to Nepal. We've had three, I think, actually, over the, the last uh, two, three years. But this team was there for longer and uh, did a different kind of work. And we can build on that. I've been fascinated to watch the changed relationships between the members uh, as they're moving around here, the people that were out on that team, it was very interesting to see, you know, the, the much greater, obvious, I mean, the bond, the, the care, the, the, the knowledge of each other. I'm just glancing around, they're all sort of nodding. Yeah, true, it's good. And we can build on that, I think, in the future. There is now a, an enlarged um, planning group looking uh, at the teaching program, uh, week by week, here in, in the mornings, but actually um, overseeing and trying to give support 
and care for the whole thing. The set-up people who arrive here week after week at 9.30, the, the musicians here at 9.30, practicing, rehearsing, the people on the sound system, we just couldn't do without these folks. There's an enormous amount of hidden work, which people who turn up at 25 past 10 simply never see. And we need to be grateful and aware and praying. Um, and there's a team that's um, now in place to try and give coordination and support and encouragement the leading of the services. We, we want to be thinking during the course of this winter. Where does the Lord seem to have given obvious particular gifts for doing this? I do it from time to time, but I'm not really that, you know, nobody would cross the street to be in a meeting that I particularly led. But there are other people where when they do it, you feel, I get blessed by their ministry. And we need to be uh, seeing the Lord's uh, way ahead. So that team is, is going to be working quietly uh, in the background. There was strong feedback during the course of last summer's Miton uh, forum meetings of a desire amongst many of you that we grow in, in our worship. We grow in sincerity. We grow in that sense of engagement with God and, and uh, reality and so on. So we may be moving towards, again, a slight change in, in the structure. Um, we will experiment with this and see how it works the structure of what we do in the morning. So that perhaps we're all together, kids in for 15, maybe 20 minutes, and then we divide, and the kids have an all-together time of worship, maybe. Some songs and stuff. But whether we do this every week, we don't know. We'll see how it goes. And that will then give the adults a slightly longer time to engage in the worship of God. And then we have the, uh, the ministry of the Word, which has been um, significant in the life of the church uh, for a long time. But then there's a whole bunch of other things um, in, in the pipeline. The church weekend has been mentioned. Um, one of the ideas that's gone around is whether we could actually invite the pastor of the church that we are linked with in Nepal, Grishma, to come for our church weekend. That would be good, wouldn't it? I'd be very interested to have him here and uh, hear the story. And, and uh, so on. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's... It's something that we would like to do. Um, the Foundations course is running now parallel to Alpha. And it's thrilling to see the five that are going through that were all, in, in their own way, products or fruit of last year's Alpha courses. This is how it should be. People come, find the Lord, find their place, get to their feet, begin to learn the Foundations and, and go on. The Spiritual Gifts course that we run from time to time will be kicking in again. If people, it'll only be a small group, but it'll be run regularly. So if you don't get in the first one, well, second, third, whatever. Half, up to half a dozen. Uh, working with uh, one of the elders on, on where your own gifting might lie. Great help in discerning that. Over the last 18 months, we've been running a, um, a series of marriage review evenings. And uh, seven couples have gone through this course. It's a kind of four-evening course reviewing many of the basics because we as a church believe not only in the importance of marriage, we believe also in the violence of Satan's attack on marriage at the moment. And we want to do all that we can as a, as a group of people to help one another, to encourage uh, as they set out in this significant relationship that models something about God himself. And so these uh, evenings um, have been run and more are, 
are scheduled, uh, and uh, it's great. I think, too, there is growing up the um, clear evidence of more and more of a, um, a men's. Many of the men here are, as part of our modern society, busy, driven, hassle their companies, their lifestyle. It sucks almost all the energy out of them. They've got very little left for the other responsibilities and the other things that we as a church stand for and believe in. And um, if you just arrange more meetings <laughs> to try and address this, they probably can't come to the meetings or they're, they're too tired or they feel guilty about being away, you know, yet more. But there are springing up a number of prayer partnerships, um, friendship accountability groups, and we want to do all that we can to recognize that and, and encourage it. As the church gets bigger and more complex, people want and need to be related to a smaller, closer little group. Uh, this shouldn't surprise us. I mean, Jesus himself, uh, there were the 70 uh, people who were called uh, disciples, and then he narrowed down to 12, and then even from within the 12, there was a narrowing down to three, with whom he seems to have been uh, perhaps more open and uh, more intimate. I think there's a deep hunger in our society for this sort of reality and, and fellowship. There's more resourcing going on of our youth and student work. Mark uh, has been at Cornhill and has been uh, supported through the Cornhill training course. But now Emma, uh, who also works with him in the UC, and she's now at the same course. We're also uh, supporting and resourcing that. Uh, Al will come back from his round-the-world trip, and we're supporting and resourcing him as he's now at London Bible College getting training because he wants to come back into the district and also work among the, the youth and, and the 20s. And then, as we mentioned, supporting him, working with the students um, on... Uh, on relay. It's terrific. Never has there been such an amount of, of support given to encourage people in, in growth and understanding and training so that they can minister in a key segment of, of our church. Our website, which has been, shall we say, a little um, a dormant um, for the last uh, little while, uh, is soon to be uh, resurrected. Good. Pearl Darting as our church administrator part-time. Um, on November the 4th, in what, is it a fortnight's time or something, um, we're going to have, parallel with this morning service, um, a separate youth service. Their own musicians, uh, their own speakers, leaders, everything, um, their own noise. <laughs> we just have to speak up that day. <laughs> but they'll be down probably in, in the lower hall, having, having their own service. In other words, there is so much to praise the Lord for different initiatives and, and so on going on. Let's come back to Thessalonians. Remember that. <laughs> come back to Thessalonians. You know, when we put these New Testament churches under the microscope, we find so few, so few details given to us about their organization and, and their structure. What was the average size of a New Testament church? I haven't a clue. What, when did they divide into two? I'm the slightest idea. Did they have Sunday schools? Choirs? Music groups? I don't know. Maybe. Doubt it. How often did they have um, communion? What did they do for the young people? I don't know. But when you read about these um, New Testament churches that are 
pictured for us, and you read what the Holy Spirit has chosen to select as the things that he wants subsequent generations to know about, the focus is on two things, almost always. It's on their motives, and it's on their impact. And actually, those are two key, key things. Their inner life with God. What drove them? Christ in these people. And then what God was then able to do through them. The Lord himself working powerfully in these people. The reality of the Holy Spirit of God, the living Lord himself, his spirit, his power, his wisdom, his compassion, his willingness to suffer, all that stuff poured down into ordinary people. And then supernatural things start to happen. Doors begin to swing open. Sacrifices are made. Uh, relationships are healed. The gospel is preached. That's, that's the picture. These people became Christians, and there was then the beginnings of a complete reorientation of their inner life, so that they begin to live differently, with different motives, different attitudes to their money and everything, at home and, and away, and then they begin to act, attract others, and then you start to see the breakthroughs. God wants to fill us up with himself, his promises, his joy, his holiness, and then he can use us uh, as heart reaches heart, or as the Psalms put it, as deep calls unto deep. The depth of his work in us, touching the places of change in the lives of, of other people. Let's read that verse um, 3 again. 1 Thessalonians 1. I want to read verse 3 again, because this is the verse that I want you to have firmly in your mind as we come... Uh, towards the Lord's table. Paul says, speaking of his prayers, he says, we continually, over and over again, we remember, before our God and Father, your work produced by your faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul thinks back to the Thessalonians, he's struck by the three great marks of true Christianity. Faith. Faith. Love. And hope. I see it, he says. I see signs of, of real faith, of love that goes the second mile, of, of real hope and expectation. This verse has uh, been called, John Calvin called it, um, the briefest definition of true Christianity. Work brought about by your faith. Labor sparked off and inspired by, by your love. And real endurance because of, of your hope in the future. They began to trust the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's a story of their life, really. They began to trust the Lord. They turned to him. They became connected to him. They started to pray. And before you knew it, their faith was leading to action. Real belief in the Lord was leading them to turn and want to, to serve him and be different. They were drawn upwards in, uh, in trust to him. Then they began to love the Lord. You see, as you serve him, you begin to love him more. 
And as you love him more, so you become more devoted to him. And Paul speaks of, of this love inside, which is growing up as they're growing now in Christ, uh, leading to them being willing to labor. The Greek is, is a word that means hard work leading to weariness. Don't ever think that weariness uh, is somehow sub-Christian. No, it's one of the marks that you are a genuine Christian, that you get tired because your love is leading you to serve the Lord better. How many of you, just put your hands up, how many of you in your life have done something that has exhausted you because you love somebody? Uh, Trisha? Oh. <laughs> I thought that was you just waving at me. I didn't, didn't realize it was a real affirmation. Yes, I shall have to. Um, anyway. Um, well, that's, that's the Christian life. You remember times when you, you, whatever it was you did, because you loved someone, you just, you got tied out. I see that in you, Thessalonians, says Paul. And it's a great mark of authentic Christianity. Drawn upwards in trust. Drawn outwards in, in love. And then they began as you do, as you serve the Lord, as you get tired, as you live this kind of a life in the teeth of opposition, you start to find that you get more and more excited at the prospect of seeing him again. The one for whom all this is for. And as we are going to take bread and wine shortly, part of, of that time is us saying to the Lord, we want to see you again. This hope, this expectation, this confidence leads to endurance. It produced in them steadfastness and stickability and, and patience, what J.B. Phillips calls sheer dogged endurance. We're going to see him again. This is just a little meal on the way. This is a little snack. The meal that we're going to have with him one day is going to be unbelievably better, and we're looking forward to it. So drawn upwards in trust, outwards in love, onwards in hope. Do you trust him? I love it when people at this point just smile. A kind of a knowing smile. Do you love him? Do you want to see him again? Then let's come together to the table. We are part of the Lord's body. We want this, his life, working in us. And as we come, we remember his work and his love and his endurance. Can I read you that verse again? We continually, remember before our God, says Paul, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. Paul says, I, I remember these things. But as we come to the Lord's table, we're wanting to reverse it, aren't we? We're wanting to say, Lord, I remember your work for me. I remember your love for me. I remember how, you much, how much you endured for me. We're only here by his, his grace. We love because the Lord first loved us. A model church, says Paul. Because he's a model saviour. And we want to say thank you. And we want to reaffirm our faith and our love 
and our hope. Father, thank you again for your word. Help us to work out these, these visions of heaven and glory and Christ with the reality of hard work and compassion and new initiatives and patience with one another as we live and grow together as your people here. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.